be on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the grains of the prisoners and to release these condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem, where the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. So I said, do not take me away, my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like, like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded. But you remain the same and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. Thank you, Steve. Uh, keep your Bibles open. We're going to refer back to that passage, but um, also to a whole bunch of other ones. They'll appear on the screen um, behind me. I'm going to give Henny a good workout on the computer, um, but he's up to the task. Um, and that will save you from flicking back and forth madly. Um, you might like to write down the references in uh, the handout or on your notes so you can chase them up later uh, if you like. Uh, way, back, uh, way back, ancient history, 1985, um, <laughs> Coca-Cola made one of the most spectacular blunders uh, in corporate history. Um, if you read their website, they, um, I, it's, as I did this week, they, they, market, uh, they, they presented it as um, intelligent risk-taking, <laughs> which is their way of, um, you know, papering over ill-advised. Uh, anyway, the, I, I wasn't there, but uh, in that time, it was the Cola Wars, it was Pepsi versus Coke, they'd been fighting it out for, for market share across the world, uh, and the Coca-Cola company was losing out. Um, their, their market share was stagnant, it was slipping in parts of the world, and so it was time for a reinvent for Coke. Um, they had to do something. And so rather than come up with a new marketing campaign, instead they decided we can rebrand under a new recipe. Let's come up with a new Coke formula. Had the same one for 80 odd years, now it's time to mix it up. And so they came up with a new formula, they did some blind testing to see how people received it, and it was almost unanimous. People preferred the new Coke, not knowing that it was new Coke, uh, over old Coke. So they thought, this is wonderful, everyone loves it, let's launch it. And it was an utter disaster. <laughs> everyone hated new Coke. Um, not because it tasted worse, they hated it because it was new Coke. Because people had nostalgia around Coke and this, this uh, emotional connection to Coke. People didn't buy Coke necessarily because it tasted like Coke, whatever Coke tastes like. They bought it because it was Coke. And new Coke, therefore, couldn't be as good. And so the company received thousands and thousands of phone complaints and letters and sales just fell through the floor. It was a huge disaster. And after a few months, they conceded and they relaunched Coke Classic which is the Coke that you and I enjoy today, unless you drink Zero or one of those other oddities. Change, change can be risky, can't it? <laughs> uh, Coke found that out. Perhaps you've found that out in your life. Change can be risky. Uh, and sometimes change can be risky for very unexpected reasons. We can't anticipate why these, these things uh, are difficult for us or, or, or don't go as we intended. Um, by and large, change is unsettling for us. Um, often change, whether it's uh, good change or negative change, is, is quite uncomfortable. It's a difficult process. 
Um, we're not only risk-averse as people, we, we tend to be change-adverse. Once we've found our groove, we stick in it because no one really likes change. And so that means that the topic of today's sermon should be really good news for us. <laughs> because what we're learning today is that God is unchanging. That God never changes. That God is constant. That sounds good, and it is really good. But what do we mean by that? You know, how do we actually understand that? How does that actually work? And what about? Well, we're going to cover those things and try and find them out this morning. Uh, the, the word for the attribute of God that we're studying this week, the, the, the tricky word that we get to add to our vocabulary, is the word immutable. Probably never a word you've ever used, probably never a word you'll ever use again, but there you go, immutable, uh, which means unchanging. Uh, we've heard a lot about mutations lately, particularly around a certain virus. Uh, well, mutation means change. Immutation or immutable means no change. That is who God is, immutable. When we say that, what we're saying about God is, God is who he is. He won't become something else. He didn't used to be something else and in order to now be what he is today. God simply is. He is unchanging, he is constant, he is eternal. We saw it there in our text, uh, right at the end, uh, in Psalm 102, verse 25 to 27. I'll read them again, they'll be on the screen. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like clothing you will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same. And your years never end. The world will wear out. Uh, creation will, will wear out. It's just like clothing. But God is not. God remains the same. We find the same idea in Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3 verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. And just in case we could think, well, that's, you know, the Old Testament. Um, actually, the New Testament picks up the same idea. We go to the book of James to chapter 1 verse 17. And we see God described uh, like this, as the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. You know, as the sun passes across the sky, shadows shift and they change and they move. As lighting comes and goes, shadows come and go. God is not like that. God is constant. And it's not just God the Father. This is how Jesus is described in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever that's what we mean by immutable god is unchanging forever immutable now when we think about it you know when we kind of process this it actually makes some sense doesn't it it's 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 kind of logical I mean, after all, what does, the word, the, what, what does change imply? When we, when we talk about change or things that change, change usually implies either changing from worse to better or from better to worse. Um, think of a banana. Okay, I, probably like us, you buy them a little green, or if you're colourblind like me, you buy them a lot green. Uh, and you do that so that hopefully, while they're in your fruit bowl, they will become the perfect banana. You know, that they're... they're, they're they're too green, you know, they can't hardly peel them and they're a bit crunchy. And then you wait and you wait and they change. They become a little bit more yellow. They, they get to that perfect point. 
just on the green side of ripe. You know, just a little bit of crunch, a little bit of tart, the perfect banana. And then two hours later, they've changed and they're overripe, and it's time for banana bread. <laughs> That's how change works, though, isn't it? Change is a movement towards perfection or away from perfection. Therefore, change cannot imply to God, can it? We have seen that God is perfect, absolutely perfect in every, every possible way. Therefore, if God were to change, it could only mean a movement away from perfection, a worsening of God. And that cannot be. Because, as we've seen over the past few weeks, God is entirely independent in and of himself. He's not reliant on others and others can't act upon him to change him. We saw uh, last week, he's entirely simple, not made up of parts that could be taken or, or replaced or added to, but utterly perfect in his whole. So when we consider who our God is, we can see change for our God is impossible. It cannot be. This is what Michael Horton, uh, theologian, writes. It should appear behind me. If God alone is necessary, and by necessary we mean um, he doesn't depend on things, but instead all things depend on him. If God alone is necessary and independent of all external conditions, fully realised in all of his perfections, then there is literally nothing for God to become. He cannot change. There is no movement possible because he is utterly perfect. But... It begs a couple of questions, and I, I don't know what your minds are like, but sometimes, you know, your mind races ahead and you think, but what about? Well, let's try and answer a couple of what abouts, a couple of objections. Uh, objection one, isn't inert or unchanging dead? Uh, one of the ways the Bible describes God or describes God's immutability, particularly in the Psalms, uh, is to call God a rock or my rock or our rock. We, we saw that in the verses from Psalm 95 that we opened the service with. God is our rock, and by that we mean God is unchanging. God is constant. But is that a God we want? <laughs> Do we want God like a rock? Now, there was a guy in the 70s who became a millionaire by selling pet rocks. Um, he sold over one million pet rocks at $4 a pop that he picked up from the beach and just marketed very cleverly, and people bought them because, as he figured, the rock is the perfect pet, isn't it? You never have to feed it, you never have to clean it, you never have to take it for a walk, and it will never die, no matter how much you neglect it. That is the perfect pet, if you ask me. But while a rock may make a reasonable pet, it doesn't make for a great God, does it? Is that what we mean by immutable, inert, cold, unmoving, dead? Well, the answer is no. Um, theologians have a tricky and obscure way to describe this. Uh, they call God pure act. Now, that's a weird concept. Um, it, look, I, I, can't be on, I can't honestly say that I've got my mind 100% around it, but what they mean by that is uh, God is pure act. That is not potential to act, but complete action and unchanging in action. Um, this is how someone far smarter than me uh, puts it, his name is Thomas Wynandi. Uh, he writes, God is unchangeable not because he is inert or static like a rock, but for just the opposite reason. He is so dynamic, so active, that no change can make him more active. He is act 
pure and simple. It's probably not a concept or a thing that you ever ever thought of. It's, it's quite odd. I totally get that. But, but here's the point. For us, any action, any doing that we do is a becoming action. So this morning, I'm eating breakfast in order to become full, uh, to become healthy and be able to live. It's, it's about being. Uh, I, I work during the week so that we are able to live, so I become able to live, it's, it's, and, and so on. But God is not like us in that. God is perfect. There is no room for him uh, to become anything. He lacks nothing, exactly as we've seen. And so for him, doing is not about becoming. Doing is about being. He is. That's why we say he is, not he was. He is. He is pure doing. And what that means is, instead of being inert and dead and unmoving, God is more alive, more vibrant, more vital than anything else. He is quite literally life in its fullness. He is the most alive thing. We have a vibrant God, not a rock-dead God. Well, what about objection two then? What about the times that the Bible says God repents or God regrets? Because let's be honest, we've read them. Uh, this week um, in CrossConnect, we, we studied 1 Samuel 15. Um, if you're not familiar with the chapter, it's where Saul, uh, the first king of Israel, um, royally stuffs up, pun intended. He is a nightmare. He completely disobeys God uh, and explicitly goes against what God has said. And, and this is what God says to him in 1 Samuel uh, 15 verse 11. God says, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. God regrets. That implies a change, doesn't it? It, it implies that, that God's going back on what he said, that, he, that he's made a mistake, that, that he's changed his mind. But we need to think it through. We, we need to push a little deeper into this because this is what God also says or is what it said of God in that chapter. Uh, if we go to 1 Samuel 15 verse 29, just a little bit later on, this is what's said. He who is the glory of Israel, that is God, does not lie or change his mind for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. So we've got to hold these things together. God says, I regret, but God do doesn't change because he's not like us. Well, there's two things going on here. Firstly, we need to remember what we learned about a month ago, uh, about how God communicates uh, uh, to him, himself, sorry, to us. Uh, remember, he is incomprehensible, that is not that we can't understand him, but that he is just so much greater than our understanding could ever grab hold of. And so when he communicates himself, he's doing it in limited human ways to limited human people like us. He is, the word we used was, he is accommodating himself to us so that we can grasp anything at all about him. So when we're appreciating God, when we're even hearing of God or reading of God, we're doing so from a very human perspective. But secondly, we need to remember that although there are things that God shows us about himself, there are also a lot more things that God does not show himself. Uh, sometimes we talk about this as his revealed will, what he shows to us, and his secret will, what he doesn't show to us. 
Uh, and so Michael Horton again, uh, this, is, this is what he can say about it. Neither God's nature nor his secret plan or secret will changes. Rather, it is God's revealed plans that change. Um, perhaps, perhaps I can illustrate it. Um, say you've uh, designed a treasure hunt for your kids. Um, I don't know, it's a, it's, a special, it's a birthday, it's a special occasion. You've, you, you've designed a treasure hunt, you've got a nice little goal, a treasure in mind for them that you want them to reach. Now, it would be a terrible treasure hunt if you said, I've hidden this treasure under that plant in the backyard, go and find it. <laughs> It'd be a pretty quick treasure hunt, wouldn't it? They just run straight there and grab it. That's not how you do it, is it? Uh, you send them on detours and you send them to false leads and clues over there and, and they meander around the house and the garden and then finally they get to the, 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 the end goal. Now you've always had that end goal in your mind. That's your secret will, your secret plan for the treasure hunt. But they are discovering it piece by piece as you reveal it to them in all its twists and turns. That's a bit like how this works. As we journey through life, through God's revealed plan, there are twists and turns, as you would expect, working with fallen people in a very fallen world. But there are no twists and turns in God's secret plan. That is always unchangingly being worked out. So God is unchanging. He is perfectly, ultimately alive, pure act, and he is always working out his secret plan, perfectly, unchangingly. That's what we mean by immutable. But what does it mean for us? You know, when you wake up on Monday morning, what does all this mean for you and for your week? Well, there's just two implications I want to touch on. There's a lot of things we could talk about, but there's two things that I want to touch on briefly this morning. Firstly, we can depend on God, for he is unchanging. His constancy is our confidence. Uh, some of you know this. Um, I did uh, science at uni, um, and part of that science was a whole bunch of chemistry. And chemistry means a whole bunch of chemistry pracs or, or experiments that you do in the labs. But here's the thing. Um, when you're doing science, when you're doing those experiments, you are depending on the fact that things are constant. When I add A to B, we get C. And if I add A to B again, we get C again. If I do it a hundred times, the same thing will happen. That's, that's the basis of science. If you know these things, you can explore these unknown things. That's how science works. Um, you can imagine the alternative. Like, how terrifying would it be if I add A to B, then I get C, and if I add A to B again, then I get X. Like, that, could be, that would be dangerous. <laughs> Not only That would be scary, it would be awful. And we couldn't do any science at all. Everything would be unknowable. And so it would be with God. If God wasn't constant, if God changed, then life would be impossible, let alone knowing God would be impossible. Just like Carla Cat. We couldn't depend on him, him for anything. We couldn't know anything. We couldn't know him. I mean, just, just imagine for a moment if God wasn't immutable. We, we could have no confidence, could we? You know, imagine. Yes, okay, at one point in the past, God showed mercy. He sent Jesus. He made forgiveness possible uh, and rescued us from destruction. He did that in the past. That's great. But what about tomorrow? What about 20 years from now, 2,000 years from now? Who's to say he won't change his mind? 
<laughs> Who's to say he won't have a rethink? It's terrifying, isn't it? There's no, there would be no confidence in life. There'd be no confidence in life after death. We, we wouldn't be able to depend on anything. But he will not. Here's Malachi 3 verse 6 again with the end of the, the verse. This is what it says. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Do you hear that? God's immutability, God's unchangeableness, that is the hope of his people. Because God's people change. God's people stray. God's people sin. But God does not. And so they are not destroyed. The New Testament doubles down on this. We, we read this in 2 Timothy verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. He is unchangeable. Even when we change, even when we are faithless, which let's be honest, we are, when we wander, when we stray, when we disobey, he remains faithful. He remains faithful because he cannot contradict who he is. He cannot be other than what he is, constant and faithful. Our God is faithful. Our God is unchangeably faithful. And that is the basis for our confidence. All sorts of things in this world will change. You will change. You and I, we will flip-flop, we will waver, we will stray further from God, we will come closer to God. We will do all sorts of things. But God will not change. When we are faithless, he is faithful. And so his immutability is your utter confidence, both now and forever to come. So God's immutability is our confidence. God's immutability is our rest. We can rest in God, for he is unchanging. Um, now, that might, that might feel like an odd link. We might not, we might not have expected to go there, um, but it really matters. Remember what we learned of God. We learned of God that he is pure act. He is more vibrant and vital and alive than anything in this world. He is life in its fullness itself. Uh, and there is hope for us in that. And that hope is the promise of true rest, of true peace in him. Um, years ago, we moved from Geelong uh, to New Zealand for, for my internship as part of my training. Uh, and part of that move um, went, meant getting moved. All of our stuff went as well. Uh, and the church that moved us uh, covered not only getting our stuff moved, but getting our stuff packed. I, I don't know if you've ever had this, had removalists pack for you. It is a magnificent experience. <laughs> it is really, really wonderful. Um, we, were, we were very excited because, let's be honest, who, who likes packing? Now, what I'd expected when I first read this, what I'd expected was, um, you know, they would send two guys around with a truck uh, and, you know, we'd kind of direct them around the house and over the course of the day, we'd tell them, yeah, pack that in that box and, you know, we'd, we'd be part of that. And it would take a day and we'd help them out. Um, that's not how it went at all. They sent to our tiny little two-bedroom unit uh, 12 to 15 guys with one truck and they went absolutely ballistic. Um, it was, in the end, it was so frantic that we were just like, we, we just had to get out of there. We like, went from a corner to standing outside just going, what is happening? Uh, it was amazing. It was this whirlwind of activity. And in about half an hour, 
90% of our stuff was packed in, in the truck. It was phenomenal. It, I've never seen anything like it. I hope to one day see it again. <laughs> but there, their furious, unstopping, constant activity pretty much meant that we got to stand around and just watch. We got to just simply enjoy it. Their, their activity meant our enjoyment. And it's similar here. God's immutability, his pure activity, enables a similar thing for his people. Um, here's how a famous theologian, Herman Barvink, good Dutch theologian, this is how he put it. All that is creaturely, i.e. us, is in the process of becoming. It is changeable, constantly striving in search of rest and satisfaction and finds this rest only in him who is pure being without becoming. We are restless and changing and striving and there is one who is not. He is not becoming, he is being. And therefore he and he alone is a source of rest for us. And this is how Jesus echoes it beautifully in John chapter 10 verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How can he offer that? Because he is life to the full. He is pure act and in him we can find perfect rest. Our being, our striving to be, our searching, it is utterly exhausting. <laughs> it, it wears us down and it is utterly futile. But there is one who is not like us. There is a God who is being, not becoming. A God who is rather than might be. And in him is rest for you. This is what uh, Augustine, uh, one of the church fathers in about the year 350, this is how he said it very famously. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. I have never met anyone who isn't looking for, at least in some form, rest or peace. Well, you can find it in God. His pure activity, his fullness of life and movement, it is an assurance and a promise for every single one of you. It is rest. Don't be consumed by the frantic strivings of this world, but rest in him who is the fullness of life forever. God is constant. God is unchanging. And therefore there is rest and there is confidence for you. Everything else in this world is up for grabs, isn't it? <laughs> Everything else is uncertain. Your health, your status, your work, your peace, your prosperity, anything you could imagine. It is either in the process of coming or going. And therefore it is a rotten basis for life. Except for God. Because God is. God is eternal and therefore safe and steady and secure because he is immutable. Let's pray to him and give thanks. Let me lead you as we do that.
Heavenly Father, we praise you for you are our rock. You are our security, our confidence, and our peace unchanging. Father, all these things are in you, for you are constant. You are immutable. Your love and your faithfulness, your mercy, your goodness, all these things and more are unfailing. And in Jesus, they are ours. We praise you for that fact. Father, we ask that you would help us to know this in our daily lives. Lord, you know how our confidence wavers, how it comes and goes. May we find security in your immutable existence. Father, you know how restless we are. May we find rest and peace in your unchanging being. Father, we need you, and you are everything we need and so much more. May our lives be built on your unchanging character. Help us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. We're going to sing of the confidence.